Hello everyone and welcome to the Do Follow Football Podcast with me, Stefanos. This is episode number five and today we're going to be answering the questions, did Chelsea bounce back after their 3-1 London derby defeat to West Ham? Has City's defence stayed airtight in this Premier League season? Have Brighton continued to fly and score goals for fun for yet another week? Have Everton got any points on the board whatsoever? Have Man United's key players like Rashford, Anthony, Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes started to turn the screw for Eric Ten Hag's side? Find out the answers to those questions and much more in this week's episode. Hello, hello. I hope everyone has had a great week. Um, I've had a, I've got to be honest, I've had a little bit of a down week, to be honest with you. The, the Chelsea loss really, really, it done a number on me emotionally, uh, if I'm being honest, guys. Uh, I'd just like to apologise uh, for my voice uh, today. Um, I'm hoping it'll be all right. I, I am okay. It's just a little bit of a sore throat. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. So we're going to be starting off with Friday night football at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea beat Luton 3 0. We got our first win of the season, guys, and I was absolutely buzzing. And do you know what? I, I, only I could sit there and be buzzing about beating Luton Town 3 0. But look, I wasn't just looking for a result on Friday night. I got home, jumped in the shower, I yammed down some food nice and quickly, and I, w- I was ready. I was ready sitting in front of my TV at 5 to 8 because I was just so excited. I, I, I desperately wanted a Chelsea win. And not only did I just want a Chelsea win, I wanted the performance. I wanted to see a real performance from us. And that's exactly what Chelsea did. We didn't disappoint. Um, going back to uh, last week against West Ham, I didn't think we played badly. It was just moments that lost us that game, if I'm being honest. Um, but ultimately, we didn't do enough to win. But this week, there was no signs of that. Sterling, he was by far our best player. And Sterling's a player now, me personally, I've given him a lot of stick since he's come to Chelsea. Um, most fans have, if I'm being honest, because he, he just hasn't performed. I think the expectation of, of Sterling coming to Chelsea, the expectations were massive. You know, multiple times, Premier League winner. I think he's won th- I think three or four Premier Leagues with City. He's been phenomenal at City, and that's what we were kind of looking for. And the Sterling that I saw on Friday night against Luton, that's the Sterling that, that's the Sterling we all know. You know, he's brilliant at Liverpool as a youngster, and he really matured as a player under Pep Guardiola at Man City. And like I said, he's been very hit and miss for Chelsea, but this season so far, I think he's been good. He was decent against Liverpool. He's very good against West Ham last week, and again Friday night he was phenomenal. Um, he was a threat along with Gusto on that right-hand side. All, all evening, the midfielders didn't know what to do of Luton. The, the defenders didn't know what to do. He, he, he was brilliant. Um, I thought we actually started the game really well, much like the same um, against West Ham, but only this time we actually, we actually got the goals. Now, I thought going into half-time, it, I wasn't nervous, but... I think we could have we could have definitely gone into half time, maybe two, maybe even three new up. Um Luton, to be fair to them, in the first half. They did as the half um got longer, they did go into the game. And going into the second half, I thought there was a, a five a five minute spell where they looked really dangerous. Kabore was uh asking questions of Chilwell, who didn't actually have his best game in a Chelsea shirt, if I'm being honest, I think he should have scored. I, even now, I've been thinking about it all week and I couldn't tell you why he tried to square it to Sterling. Um, he missed a decent chance against West Ham as well last week. I think he just doesn't trust that right foot, I don't think. He's very one-footed. Um, but yeah, look, it was a brilliant performance. Some real good standouts, like I said, Gusto, 
Sterling, they were brilliant. And Gusto is a player. I was really excited when we signed him. I know he stayed at Lyon um, until last season, obviously, uh, loaned out until this season. But I was really happy that we'd actually taken the initiative to get a backup right back. And yes, I'm aware that we, Reese James is by far he's one of our most important players. And him and Chilwell are a big reason why Chelsea do play the system that we play. You know, we played a back four all pre-season. But then against Liverpool, excuse me, against West Ham and against Luton, we obviously played the back three slash five, however you'd like to look at it. Um, and just those wing-backs are just so important to the way we play. And they have been for a number of years, to be honest. You even think back with Conte. Um, Sarri had a three, a three out of five back sometimes. And Conte, you know... I remember when he, he turned Victor Moses into a prime cafu. Um, but yeah, anyway, let's not dwell on the past. Let's look to the future. Um, but yeah, it was re- really good performance. And like I said, with Gusto, I'm not saying he's going to take Reese's place. You know, Reese obviously being our captain, but put it this way. When Reese James is out injured, if Gusto plays like that, there's no telling what, what we can achieve. Because that right side, it was perfect all game. And it was... It epitomised what Chelsea have not been in the past, well, I'd say season, but it's been a bit longer. In the past, say, year and a half, it epitomised what we haven't been. Yes, we've looked good on the ball. Yes, we've had possession. Yes, we've had bright passages of play, good movement. But we didn't have the that clinicalness that teams like City and Arsenal have had over the past year. And on Friday, that's what we had with the clinical. Sterling, I, I know I've gone on about Sterling already, but I just, I, I can't stress enough, he was brilliant. And Nicholas Jackson as well, getting his goals, really happy that he scored. He's worked tirelessly for the team, very unselfish as well, making the runs, asking questions of defenders, a little bit like uh, what Timo Werner used to do. And that's a player that also got a lot of stick for not scoring, but his movement was so important for the team. And that's what I see with Jackson. I just think it will take him a little while to obviously adapt to the Premier League. I think if we're being really harsh, he finishing does need work. Um... But I think he's, de- he's I've got no problem with him whatsoever. I've, I'm not worried. I think he's going to start absolutely smashing the goals in. Um, he, he deserved his goal. And everyone played well. Even Caicedo, I was very, not dubious, but, you know, I kind of had a sour taste in my mouth after his performance against West Ham, giving away the penalty. It, it wasn't a great debut. But he, he got the start on Friday. And... Again, no disrespect to Luton, by the way. They 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 played okay. I thought, thought they were brave. They didn't give up. You know, they they were still, their hunger was there, the desire was there. But unfortunately, you know, they just they just weren't good enough. We were too good for them. But you know, we should be we should be beating Luton. But I think it was a perfect game for Caicedo to kind of make his first first team, you know, his first start, not his debut, but his first, you know, get that ninety minutes under his belt, and he was very good. Kind of reminds me, and you know, I don't want to start comparing already. But it kind of reminded me of N'Golo Kante when he first came to Chelsea. He's very good off the ball, getting the tackles in, the defensive awareness, the positioning, reading the game. But on the ball, he wasn't the best. And that's what I saw a little bit with Caicedo. I think he does need some work on the ball. Potentially his passing as well. But again, like I said, I said last week um, in the episode that when you buy a player for X amount of money and they come to, again, no disrespect to Brighton, the step up from Brighton to Chelsea is... Is wild, you know. Obviously, Brighton did finish above us last season, and currently they are above us in the Premier League. But you know, one season it doesn't change anything. Chelsea is still a massive club, whichever way you want to look at it, um, whether you like it or not. Uh, to be quite frank, but 
the standards are still high. They're so much higher. And the expectation is also higher. And it can be quite daunting for a player, especially for a young player. Um, but yeah, I think I think he will flourish. And I think he'll be absolutely fine. Enzo Fernandez, speaking of the midfield as well, he played in a very... Um, more, I don't want to say a direct role, but a more um, a higher role, so to speak, much higher up the pitch, and he got in a lot, a lot of good areas. Unfortunately, he didn't get the goal. Apologies, that was a very loud motorbike passing past my flat. Um, I'm not sure if you guys picked that up, but I'm not redoing this. What's this now? Eight minutes. I'm not redoing this. Eight minutes of recording, unfortunately, because this is off the cusp. We don't read from a script. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't think Kai Sado is the finished article. I really don't. There's definitely more to come from him. Um, but yeah, I'm, re- I'm really excited. I've got to remember as well, we've got Lavia to come in as well. He was watching uh, the stands next to owner Todd Bowley. And so was John Terry as well next to Reese James. That was nice to see. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, I could go on and on all episode just talking about Chelsea because I was so happy we finally got our win. And on to next week for us. But yeah, really, it's it's good to see. And I think... You saw how much it meant to the players, Poch. Even like when Jackson scored, all the players were buzzing. It was a really good performance. I, I genuinely couldn't pick out a player that wasn't great. Even Conor Gallagher, that's a player that I've said for a very long time, maybe unfairly, but I, I personally don't think he's good enough to play for Chelsea. I like the fact that he cares, he tries. There's always that hunger and desire with him, but I, in terms of footballing ability, I don't know if he's good enough but the performances he's been putting in this season so far, he's deserved the starting, the starting position. You can't argue with it. And again, it's good to have players like Enzo, Caicedo, Gallagher and Lavia all, all, all in the mix because if they all play well, that's what you want. You, you, I want Pochettino to actually have to sit there on a Thursday, a Friday, Saturday, whenever it is, and sit there and think, well, I don't know which one of these boys I'm going to put out because they've all been phenomenal. And I think now it's just a case of building from that win. And I don't quite think Poch knows his best team yet. And again, I don't want to make excuses, but obviously um, injuries are not going to help with picking you know, your best squad. Because I don't think he's going to know his best squad for a while because the squad is very big. We've got a lot of new players, a lot of young players. But he's definitely a step in the right direction for Chelsea. And a clean sheet as well, always good. Paul Sanchez didn't have to do too much, but what he did have to do, he done well. Another thing as well, speaking of, you know, the kind of goalkeeping area, I thought we passed out from the back very well. Salva Silva, cool as you like. Um, De Zassi, again, I liked what I saw from him. I was looking for a big performance from him because if we're being quite frank, he got bullied last week um, by Mikel Antonio. But yeah, I, I want to move away from Chelsea now because I already spoke very long at length. But no, really, I, I'm so happy that we got the win and on to next week. Moving up north now to the red side of Manchester, where Manchester United beat Forest 3-2. Now, after five minutes, it was all doom and gloom for United. It wasn't looking good. Being 2-0 down, um, Antoinini scored for Forest after two minutes. Again, I told you guys about him in episode number one. And once again, he scored again. It might be time for me to get him in the FPL team. I'll have to look at Forest's fixtures. Um, but no, Forest, they've got a good showing now against United and Arsenal. Again, I think relatively unlucky to come away from both games with zero points. And I spoke last week about Everton and seemingly their inability to pick up points. And I think it's games like this where that's, that's just where I see the difference with, say, like a Forest. Like for, Forest and Wolves 
They, I mean, Forest have played United and Arsenal, and Wolves have played United, and arguably been very unlucky to not get anything out of the match. And even last week with Crystal Palace, I don't think Crystal Palace will be down there this season, come May. But it's another example. Teams like that, they can go up against you know the best teams in the league. And, and they can be a real nuisance. Because it, it wasn't easy for Man United. And that's just where I think the difference is. And I think on another day, maybe Forrest, again, much like against Arsenal, maybe they come away with something. And I just think with having those performances, yes, they haven't got the points. And me personally, I think sometimes I look at football as very black and white. You either get the points or you don't. You win, you lose. But when you're kind of down there fighting, these performances, they stick in your brain, they stick in your head, and it will definitely fill the players with confidence. So there is more positives for them to take, despite squandering a, a two-goal lead, effectively. Um, but look, let's talk about Man United, because they did win. Uh, it wasn't a vintage win for United. I thought Bruno Fernandes was exceptional. And these are the type of performances that I'm looking for from him. Sorry, that I'm looking for from him. When Bruno plays well and has a good game, it seems like Man United have a good game. And now Man United, I actually don't think they had a good game. Like I said, I don't want to say fortunate or lucky because you, make, you do make your own luck in football. But they did make hard work of it. They really did. And I think... Eric Ten Hag was very happy in his uh, his interview after, saying it was great character to come back. And it was. It was great character for them to come back, especially after their performance against Spurs last week. We'll be moving on, we'll be moving on to Spurs in a moment. But the performance, again, it raises question marks on a lot of them. I think there's clearly still weaknesses in this Man United side. Obviously, they've got Hoyland to come back, so that will obviously give them a better attacking outlet, maybe get the goals and probably take a little bit of pressure off of the likes of, you know, Fernandes, Mount, Anthony and Rashford. Again, Rashford, I didn't think he had a bad game. He's opened his account now for the season, getting that assist and obviously Bruno again getting the penalty, but a goal is a goal. And hopefully for United, this will be a platform for them, give them the confidence to, you know, kick on. You know, they've got to play Arsenal next week. And again, Arsenal will be talking about them as well. They drop points. This weekend, so United, I think they'll be feeling good. Like I said, it wasn't a, it wasn't exactly vintage Man United, but they got the result, and that's the important thing. Now onto a team that did put in a good performance and paired that with the right result last week, and they did the same this week. Spurs, they beat Bournemouth two 0 I thought James Madison getting his first goal for Spurs. I thought he was excellent all game this week, and even last week as well against Man United, he didn't look out of place at all in this Spurs side. It looks like he's going to be a vital. A vital cog in the system uh, this year for Spurs. I think there was a lot of question marks whether or not he could do it at a big club. You know, again, no disrespect to Leicester, but again, Spurs, new stadium, a new look, without Harry Kane. The expectations, I think, I wouldn't say the expectations are high for Spurs this season. Obviously, losing Harry Kane is a massive, massive blow to them. But I'd certainly say the pressure is on for them especially in that creative department, because Harry Kane, even though he was a striker, the amount of times he would drop deep, almost as a centre midfielder and spray balls out and then get back up the pitch and and finish the move off. But yeah, I thought Madison was brilliant. The goal was very acute, I thought. It was a great, intelligent run into the box and the deafest of touches to get the ball past the keeper. Yeah, like I said, he, he was brilliant. Bournemouth, you know, they did have their chances but they didn't take them. And ultimately, Spurs, they were just too strong for them. They were deserved winners. Again, same as last week. 
And they've really shocked me, if I'm being honest, this season. Um, as a Chelsea fan, part of me always doesn't want to see Spurs or Arsenal do well. It, it is what it is. But I don't hate Spurs. I've got a little bit of a soft spot for them. Uh, growing up, um, a lot of my friends were Spurs fans. I went to White Hart Lane a lot. Um, so I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Spurs. and oof, I didn't even want to admit that on the podcast, but what can I say? The heart wants what the heart wants, as they do say. But no, all jokes aside, Spurs have really shocked me. They've looked fluent on the ball, great in possession. I thought they, I think they countered really well um, against Bournemouth and against United. So we've seen some great, not only dominant, almost high-intensity, high-pressure play, but when they're on the back foot, they turn defence into attack really well. And, you know, dare I say it, they look just as good, if not better, without Harry Kane. I think the only thing missing is a is a real clinical striker because, again, I don't want to sit here and just rip Richarlison to pieces every week, but he just can't seem to finish and put the ball in the back of the net. Um, I did see some rumours this week that um, that they're in for Romelu Lukaku. Now, I don't know how true that is, and I don't know how much these rumours, well, even if they're still rumours by the time I release this, um, but I, I don't know if he's the guy for them, especially from what I saw from him last week. But it looks like he hasn't really got any any other options but look this isn't about Lukaku this is about Spurs and like I said they deserve their win um, that's two wins and a bounce against you know Bournemouth that, that, they gave Liverpool a hard a hard match last week and they were they were nullified really I think Spurs really like I said they they, they had little to no problems and off the back of that Man United win I'm sure Spurs will be eager to make it through and a bounce next week as well it's, it's, things are looking things are looking rosy for the Lily Whites Staying in North London now, uh, another London derby as well, actually. Arsenal versus Fulham uh, ended 2-2. Now, Fulham's first goal, it didn't come from a great bit of play. It didn't come from bad defending. It just came from an individual error. Uh, an, in- an individual error who you don't really associate with Bakayo Saka. He's been brilliant for the past, well, two seasons, really great for England as well. He's really established himself uh, in the past few years. Um an exciting player as well but you know when I don't want to dig players out because simply these are athletes at the highest level but when you're challenging for the league like Arsenal hope to do this season same as last season you can't be making those individual errors because sooner down the line they do cost you and individual errors cost Arsenal last season you think of Tommy Asu against Man City you think of Thomas Partey against West Ham, Aaron Ramsdale against Brighton. These are the types of moments that can define your season. And it's actually sad when, you know, Arsenal, they were brilliant last season, pretty much right up until the end of May. Uh, sorry, uh, the end of March going through April. And it cost them. And Ben White, he nearly gave Fulham a second goal as well. But I thought Arsenal... They actually looked a little bit shaky, I thought, in defence. And that's not really something that we associate with them. But again, against Forest and against Palace, they kind of looked like, not that they were there for the taking, but they could have easily dropped points in those matches, I thought. I thought, I don't think they were, I wouldn't say they were lucky to get the wins because I did think all in all they did deserve them. Maybe, yes, on another day they don't get those wins. But I I just think that they are sometimes there to be got at, so to speak. Uh, but it would look, it was a good reply from Arsenal. They got the penalty. I, I don't understand what Tete was doing. It was such a reckless challenge. And I don't want to say needless challenge because it was inside the box, but it was reckless. It was rash. 
It's probably the most stonewall penalty you're going to see all season, really. And after drawing level, again, I thought Arsenal would carry on applying the pressure as they did. And, you know, just playing their game. And, and, and they did. And then after going 2-1 up, everything just, just kind of changed for them. I thought they would close the game off against Fulham, especially against 10 men. And I spoke last week about, you know, Arsenal not being able to necessarily close off games the same way that, say, Man City do. And again, that's not a dig at Arsenal because very few teams in the world can close a game off the way Man City do. But I think that, again, Fulham were there. They were tired, 2-1 down. I don't understand why Arsenal just didn't go for it and get that third goal to really wrap up the game. And it did look like the game was, was slipping away from Fulham again. Arsenal being a goal up and a man up. And I just thought they kind of went into their shell. And I don't think that defending was atrocious for the for the goal. But Paulini slips his man and it was a very tidy, smart finish into the far corner. And that's definitely a blow to Arsenal because the next upcoming fixtures, I believe next week they've got Man United, then they play Bournemouth. And then they've got a really tricky run. I think they need to play they need to play Spurs, Man City, and they need to play Chelsea as well. So this was a game that I was looking at, much like last week's game against Palace. I don't want to say a must-win game because, you know, it's, it's not even a month into the season yet. But if Arsenal are going to be challenging for the Premier League again this season and if they hope to to pipe Man City to it this year it's games like this that they really need to win because I think and now some of you might disagree with me I'd like to get your thoughts as well uh, do tweet us at pod on Twitter nearly a thousand followers as well by the way in just under a month so let's keep it going let's see if we can get that that 1k mark before the end of August um, I think last season you saw the importance of, of not small games, because every game in the Premier League is big, but you saw the importance of getting points against teams like West Ham, teams like Brighton and, and teams like Forest. And in my opinion, again, you guys might disagree, I feel like, I don't feel like you win the league Liverpool away or Chelsea or Man United at home. I think you win the league by digging deep against teams like, you know, a Burnley or... You know, you got you go to Goodison Park at like February or March, and Everton are fighting for their lives. A dogged performance, and you scrape a one 0 I remember quite a few years ago when Chelsea played Crystal Palace, um, and we won one 0 and we didn't play very well. It was a very scrappy, uneventful game, and we won one 0 And Diego Costa scored uh, the winning goal to to get Chelsea the one 0 win, and it wasn't a great goal. Again, it was not scrappy, but it was a kind of dogged kind of goal if that makes sense there wasn't really any real, real finesse or quality about it it was just a, a determined kind of goal so to speak and that's what you have to do that's the performance you should have to put in sometimes and I think with Arsenal they look very good at times you know Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard their link up play is brilliant and the way they build from the back it is phenomenal they're quick they can go out wide they can go in the middle they can win penalties they can score from outside the box out wide you know any, they can score any way they like but I think when it's not pretty for Arsenal and they kind of have to dig a little bit deep and I just don't think they've got it in them. Like, I think I don't think they can win ugly, so to speak. And a lot of people, myself included, have kind of thought of Arsenal as soft over the past few years. And I think that's right. I don't really think you've seen that dogged, tough kind of performances from them since... I don't, want to, I don't want to exaggerate, but back in the Invincible days with Omri and Vieira and, you know, Pires and, you know, them, man. But last season, again, the performances were strong, but when it does come down to the nitty-gritty and the, 
And they're really tough games. Like when they played Southampton and drew 3-3, Southampton, they weren't relegated at the time. They were still fighting for their lives. And Arsenal, they, they just fumbled it. And I think when the, when the going gets tough, I think some of the players, and I don't want to pick out individuals, because like I said, players like Martinelli, Saka and Odegaard, they've been brilliant for Arsenal. They nearly won them the league last year. But as I said earlier on, it's black and white. You don't get a trophy for finishing second. You, know, you don't get a trophy for being top 95% of the season. And I just think that could be the... And it's the, if I'm being honest, I think it's the only weakness in Arsenal's, in Arsenal's game. Because, you know, they're brilliant going forward. Yes, maybe they need a, a really out-and-out striker. Because I think Jesus is brilliant, by the way. I, when, when it came out that he wasn't really happy at City with his involvement, I was screaming for him at Chelsea. Because I think he's a brilliant player. And... His, ch- not his chances have been limited in Arsenal shirt. I think that's unfair to say. But his involvement in the Arsenal team hasn't been probably what he's wanted, nor Mikel Arteta. And that's not due to performances or anything or a, a system. That's just purely based off injuries. But I think if you do even give him a, a full season, I don't think he gets you 20, 25 goals. And I think that's kind of the only thing that you could... And that's nitpicking as well, by the way, because he's a great player. He's got other abilities to his game that put him head and shoulders above a lot of other strikers in the Premier League. So I think if you're if you're really getting if you're really nitpicking you could say that. They don't have an out and out, you know, like an Erling Haaland or a Didier Drogba or a Thierry Henry, you know, and players like that. But other than that, you know, they're brilliant going forward out wide. Odegaard's got brilliant creativity in the midfield. I thought Vieri uh Vieira, sorry, uh, who came on, he was brilliant as well. So in the midfield they're covered, they've got Declan Rice now, they've still got Thomas Partey. You could say they could be a bit thin um, in the back line, especially with Timber being out, but they've still got great, great defenders. Ben White, who's played out of position all season last year at right back, he was phenomenal. Um, players as well, like um, Gabriel, phenomenal centre back. Last season, Saliba as well, and you know, he was great. But when he get when he got injured, it kind of fell apart. So I just think sometimes I sit there and think, well, you know, Arsenal could really do it this year. And I was thinking that for a lot last year, and I was again thinking about it this season. They they can really, they can really challenge City, but then it just seems like sometimes, if not all the time, really, when they're faced with any kind of adversity or any kind of not hardships, because any game in the Premier League is hard. You know, it's such a it's such a top level sport. The the I spoke about it before. The the managers we have are top class. The players are top class. Even all the way down to the training facilities, it's all top class. It's the best league in the world. But regardless, every game is hard at this level, regardless if you're Arsenal, if you're Burnley, anyone in between. And I just think when Arsenal are faced with that, sometimes they just, they just fall short. And I'm wondering now, that performance, is it going to be in the back of their minds? I mean, I'm sure they'll go to Bournemouth next week and I'm sure they'll win. But what does that mean when they play teams like Spurs or United? You know, and, and Spurs, they're, gonna, they're absolutely flying at the moment. And it's it's going to be tough for them, but you know, that's a that's a question for another week. Moving on to the game at Goodison Park, that saw Wolves beat Everton one 0 and Everton are still looking for the first points of the season, let alone their first win of the season. And look, last week I spoke about Everton. I feel like I kind of went into them a little bit, maybe a little bit harsh, but in my opinion, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. They were dreadful last week against Villa and. This week, I don't think they actually played anywhere near as bad as they did last week. This game reminded me much like um, 
their first game against Fulham this season where they had so many chances. And again, it's not half chances. It's not, oh, it's difficult to, to take or... You know, you watch a replay and it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, the ball comes to him at my angle, there was spin on it, yada, yada. It was just clear-cut chances that, again, they just fail to to put in the back of the net. And, you know, I know all about that, being a Chelsea fan recently. You know, we have the same problem. But I'm watching Everton. I, I, I'm not an Everton fan. And I'm far from a Liverpool fan. So, you know, with respect to Everton... They're not really relevant to me, but I'm watching it and it's frustrating for me to watch as just a football fan. So I can't imagine um, how Everton fans must feel. They just can't get the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, they haven't even scored this season. And it's going really bad for them really quickly. I thought Jose Sarr had a good game. He did make some smart saves. But for me, once again this week, unfortunately for Everton, it, it was just all about them and their inability to score. I mean, if you look at, say, I, I don't want to compare the two because obviously very, very different situations. But Man United, they didn't play very well against Wolves and they got the win. They didn't have their best game. I spoke earlier that it wasn't a vintage Man United performance against Forest, but they got the win. They got the points. Arsenal, first and second game week, maybe a little bit lucky to come away with six points. But nevertheless, they did. And But with Everton, it seems... Whether they play badly against Villa, you know, last week and get thumped 4 0, or they play, you know, quite well against Fulham and against Wolves. You know, they create the chances, they don't score. They go they don't create the chances and obviously they're still not gonna score. And again, I I know it's very early in the season, but like I said, it's three games now. It's three losses and they've not scored a goal. And there have been times where they've looked just like they don't know what they're doing in the final third, but then there have been times where it's nearly perfect and they should score. But the important thing, I spoke earlier about football being a little bit black and white and sometimes I do view it like that. But simple as they're just not scoring, there's no points on the board and I'm really surprised at the way they've started this season because like I said, all the way back in the first episode, I thought that they would almost get a kick up the arse. You know, they Frank Lampard managed to keep them up the season before last, or I think it was, was it two or three games to spare? I'm not quite sure on that one. And obviously last year with Sean Dykes, they literally survived on the last day. So I thought they'd really kind of not kick on because with respect, you can't kick on from nearly being relegated. But I thought it would kind of be the reality and the wake-up call that they need. Because Everton are a big club. You know, they're a massive club. And for them to go down... If you'd have said to me three or four years ago that Everton have got a real chance of being relegated from the Premier League, I wouldn't have believed you. Simple as. But they've just they've 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 just gone so bad so quickly and I really do worry for them and I I get I know I said it last week and I don't want to go into that rabbit hole again of basically just shitting all over Everton, but I'm looking at their fixtures and I just don't see where they're gonna get points from. And again I look at teams around them. You know, Luton, yes, they got beaten 3-0 by Chelsea, but they put a decent showing in. And, again, teams around them. Forest, again, they had a decent showing. Wolves, obviously, getting the three points today. And, obviously, against Man United, they played well. Bournemouth, you know, they were okay at times against Spurs this week. And they were very good against Liverpool. You know, even West Ham. We'll come on to West Ham in a moment. You know, West Ham beat Chelsea last week. 
And these teams in and around Everton, they're getting points, they're showing good performances, and Everton, they look nowhere near it. They look nowhere near getting the ball in the net, let alone getting points to even winning games. I, I, genuinely, I genuinely wonder where Everton's points are going to come from. And like I said, I just don't see, if I'm honest, I said last week I don't see three teams worse than Everton in the league. At the moment, I don't see anyone in the Premier League that's worse than Everton, genuinely. That's, I know it's only the first few games of the season, but we can only judge on what we've seen. And simply what I've seen from Everton, it's just been so poor. So I, I, I really don't know. It's, it's, I struggle to find any positives for Everton. You know, in the first game, like I said, they, they created chances. And yeah, there's positives. And then the second game, they were woeful. And then the third game carbon copy of the Fulham game they create chance but it's, the ball's not the ball's not going where it needs to go it's simple as and I wonder how long this, this is going to go on for and could we see Sean Dykes being the first manager this season to get, to get stacked who knows another London derby that ended all square this weekend so Arsenal fans don't feel too disheartened Palace and Brentford drew 1-1 I thought it was a great goal uh, by Brentford a great bit of individual brilliance from Scar uh, I hope I'm saying that right um for Thomas Frank's side, I did expect more from from both teams, actually, if I'm being honest. I expected a lot more from players like Mbremu and Wissow, who've had a great start to the season, the both of them. Expected a little bit more from Edouard and Eze as well. I thought Flecken was the man of the match for me, for Brentford. He, he made some really good saves on a number of occasions and really bailed bailed them out. I think it wasn't... It was not as even game for me. I thought it could have gone either way. I think a draw was a fair result. But it definitely wasn't both teams at their best. Uh, but I'm sure they'll both bounce back next week. Now, on to my surprise result of the weekend, actually. Uh, saw West Ham beat Brighton 3-1. Now, I actually thought this was a very similar game to last week's defeat of Chelsea. Despite Brighton dominating the chances, the possession, West Ham was just clinical. And it was like I said, it was exactly the same as the Chelsea game, I thought. Last week, we dominated the game, and if you look on paper, we should have won. But I can't stress enough, time and time again, we say it. The game's not played on paper, it's played on grass. Or sometimes, Astro. Um, but yeah, and we spoke about Everton earlier and their inability to basically just be clinical in the box, around the box, anywhere on the pitch. And West Ham are the absolute opposite. They can have two or three shots on target in the game. And they'll score two or three goals. I thought James Wood-Prowse and Antonio, they were excellent. They were really good last week and they combined for the first goal. And speaking of Antonio, he was an absolute nuisance all game. He bullied, he just bullies defences for fun, genuinely. Um, he's brilliant. I mean, surely it's only a matter of time until a top club come in for him. Imagine him at, you know, a Spurs or something. That would be phenomenal. Even at like a Man United, it would be brilliant. Um, and again... For Brighton, they've been absolutely flying the past couple of weeks. And it's maybe a, I don't want to say a humbling, but kind of a, a reality checker, bring back down to earth, which is never a bad thing. You know, I'm sure they'll regroup and look what they've done wrong during the match. And again, West Ham, are, they're quite a tough team to play against because, you know, you can't really, not toe-to-toe, but you can't really sit back against them because they're very physical and they will just overpower you physically. With Suchek and Antonio, and now with uh, James, uh, sorry, with James Wood Prowse, with his passing abilities, his abilities from set pieces, and then you know you've got the pace and finesse of Gerard Bowen as well, and you know players like Ben Rama and Paqueta. 
But if you take the game to them and ask the question and, you know, maybe play a high line and commit men, they'll do you on the counter. And we saw it last week against Chelsea and we saw it this week again against Brighton. Then that's two strong teams that they've beaten now back to back and scoring goals for fun. I thought Ariola again, he was brilliant for West Ham. Um, Brighton did have their chances, but Ariola was equal to them. Um, again, much like the much like the Chelsea game. I, mean, I don't want to talk about Chelsea all the time, but I compared this game to what happened last week. And they were carbon copies of one another. You know, West Ham, they didn't have the the most possession. They didn't have the most chances. But guess what? They got the points and they still look good. Um, so, again, it's, it's positivity for, for West Ham. And they'll be sitting there now and you're looking at them. And much like Spurs losing Harry Kane, do West Ham actually look better without Declan Rice? Now, speaking of teams that are looking better without players, uh, we've got, obviously, West Ham looking a little bit actually better than last season without Declan Rice. You've got Spurs looking good without Harry Kane as well. How have Man City got on without Kevin De Bruyne? Well, I don't want to say it's like he's not there, but they're still scoring goals for fun, and it's taken three games for them to actually concede a goal. They played at Sheffield United uh, this week, and... Unlike previous weeks, I don't actually have much to say about Man City this week, if I'm being honest. They just keep winning. You know, Haaland missed the penalty, no problem. He scores in the second half. They concede in the 80, 84th or 85th minute. No stress. Rodgers going to win you the game in the 88th minute. You know, I mean, despite Sheffield United equaliser, it was a dominant ugh, It was a dominant performance from City, I thought. Um, and I, I don't want to make a habit of sort of saying it every single week but City they just know how to not only kill a game just grind the result out or just get a result by any means necessary whether it's someone like Haaland just getting it in the back of the net in all the many ways that he knows how whether it's someone like KDB uh, producing a moment of magic someone like Phil Foden or Rodri just popping up with goals clutch goals and I've lost count of how many times he's done that now um, and the thing for me, this is all being done without KDB, who I believe is set to come back, I think it's December, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, I really don't know. They're top of the league. They've won all three games. And, I mean, they haven't really looked like they've even got into top gear. And that's without KDB. So, I mean, the question is, is can anyone stop Man City this year? And, well... Not even this year. Can anyone stop them in general? And if they can, how and and when? We also had the battle of Claret and Blue at Turf Moor. And to be honest, that's kind of where the battle ended, if I'm being honest. Um, Villa looked very fluent yet again. This week, scoring for fun. And uh, it's three weeks in a row now. They're just involved in so many goals. You think last week back to Everton's 4-0 um, defeat. You think of their 3-1 uh, this weekend against Burnley, and then obviously their, their little mishap at the start of the season. Uh, that was still five goals in that game. So basically, if you want to go and see the goals, Villa Park's the, the place to go, or if they're playing away, whichever, wherever they are, really. But um, but no, it was a really good display from, from Villa, again. And I feel like that's definitely something I'm going to be saying a lot this season. Um, I think the only thing I could say, I, I said it before, It'll be tough for them when Europe comes into play. Um, I wouldn't say I'm worried about them, but, you know, players like Diaby, Matt Cash, Douglas Costa, Ollie Watkins, they, they've all been excellent. And 
if if they continue with these performances, they'll keep they'll they'll keep Villa where they are in the league, and again if they can keep those performances in Europe, who 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 knows what they could do, but I think for me it's how Emery can manage Europe and the league. But I think I, th- I think he's capable of doing it. I think even though like, he's won European Cups with um, Spanish side, he's obviously done great things at Villa. But I just even though it was so long ago, I think that stint at Arsenal it just left so many question marks. And I think he, it, it was tough to come in into Arsenal. I think for him, especially after uh, Wenger. But I don't know. I, I do have some question marks. And I do think if they are to not become a European powerhouse, but if Villa are to really challenge and really make something happen in Europe or the league, I do think they do need some more investment in the squad. I don't necessarily think class is an issue in their squad because I think they have a really good squad. I just worry about their depth, I think. Um, again, there's, there's no reason they can't finish in the top six again this year. Like, really, there's not. And there's no reason why they can't really push and go far in the European competition. But I think if there's any type of silverware that will be involved or if there's any kind of top four hope involved, I think to get that, they have to invest in the squad a little bit more. Um, but no, that, that, that sounds very negative. But again, like I said, Villa have looked great. Emery's done a fantastic job and I'm sure throughout the season they'll grow. And if he is given the time, if he is backed you know, the summers, the January windows, I'm sure that Villa, you know, in a couple of years, if they continue, we could see them where Newcastle are. I know the Newcastle situation is a bit different because of the investment, but really, I, I don't see any reason why Villa can't be up there. They've already got a very good squad and all they need to do is add to it. But, um, but on to Burnley, I think, I wasn't really worried about Burnley at the start of the season. Uh, obviously, playing Man City wasn't great first game and then, the second match, obviously, was postponed due to the issues at Luton Stadium. So, I think this week was, it was a bit tough for them. Again, coming up against a very, very good Villa side who was scoring goals for fun. And again, they probably don't have rhythm. You know, like I said, they played City in the opening game. And then for match week number two, that to sit that one out. So, maybe the rhythm isn't there. Maybe now the, the morale isn't there as well. And I am starting to worry a little bit because I've got Spurs next week and... You know, anything can happen in football. We all know this, but I, I don't really see them getting anything from that game. If I'm being totally honest, so potentially you could be looking at Burnley four games played, and not a single goal. Uh, sorry, not a single point, and their goal difference as well. You know, they conceded three to, to Man City, and they've conceded another three, at, uh, at Villa. So, and as well, Spurs. I think Spurs are capable of knocking two, three, maybe even four past them. If I'm being honest, so, you know, I, I spoke about Everton early innings get points on the board and it's going to be tough for them. But again, give it another week or so, Burnley, they could be in the same uh, in the same predicament. Before we get into the last game of this weekend, I haven't forgot this week because I know I've been a little bit naughty with it the past couple of weeks. I haven't forgot that today's football fact. And seeing as Chelsea have won their first game of the Premier League against Luton, today what today's fact is going to be about Chelsea. And... I'm assuming most of you know this because I, I, I've i looked at my analytics and most of the ages of my viewers are similar to myself. So you're all old enough to remember this. But Chelsea are the only holders to hold, sorry, the only team to hold the Europa League and the Champions League at the same time. Uh, I believe the final of the Europa League 
was on the 15th of May, actually in the first two weeks of May. And then the Champions League uh, final is in the last week of May. So when we won the Europa League, we still had the Champions League. So we're the only team to have both titles. See, this is why we're the biggest team in London. Now, onto one of the games I was most looking forward to for this weekend, actually. Liverpool faced Newcastle at St James's Park. And I was really excited for this one, like I said. Both got great players. They play fantastic football. I did think they'd draw, if I'm being honest. Uh, but the 30-minute mark, I couldn't believe what I'd witnessed. Liverpool down uh, 1-0 and a man down as well. I think there was some, um, not argument, but there was some potential disagreement from Jamie Carragher saying, oh, was it a red card? But it's a blatant red card. You know, if Van Dijk doesn't make that tackle, Isaac's through on goal and, you know, maybe Alisson saves it, maybe he doesn't. But it's, it is a clear and obvious denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, in my opinion. So I think it was right. I thought, actually, Trent was actually lucky not to get sent off um, as well. But, again, it swings and roundabouts. Do you know what I mean? But like I said, it wasn't looking good for Liverpool. And much like last week's game against Bournemouth, they had a really, really bad start to the match. I thought that Newcastle were very sharp. They were bright. Uh, the play in and around Liverpool, Liverpool's box was really, really good. Anthony Gordon as well. Was he getting Trent that early book in? It was almost like a target on his back. And he really penetrated that side. But enter Darwin Nunes. Now, this is a player, he's had a lot of stick. Uh, since he's moved to Liverpool. Hasn't, I don't think he's been a bad player. I don't think he's been bad, but unfortunately for him, the price tag is is what people go for. And again, I I, I know in this day and age, you think of players like Declan Rice, Caicedo, Jude Bellingham, Darwin Nunes, even Alisson and Van Dijk, and you know, Harry Maguire, perfect example as well. Nowadays, you have to pay so much for players. You know, you think to maybe what, between 10 to 13 years ago or something, 80 million would get you Ronaldo or Prime Bale. And now, you know, 80 million, I got Chelsea Lukaku a couple of years ago. So inflation is obviously an issue, but it is what it is. You have to move with the times. And I always think it's unfair because players, they, at the end of the day, they, they don't ask for their price tag, you know. Um, and it's something that's definitely been used against Darwin Nunes since his arrival at Liverpool. But... I thought he was really good when he came when he completely changed the game. And Liverpool, they showed great ta- character, especially, you know, to be 1-0 down to and have a man disadvantage as well. And again, this isn't just against any team. And I know I, I say all the time, there is no easy games in the Premier League, but to do it against this Newcastle side, who, have, you know, they've been fantastic uh, since the start of the season. They've showed real character and they've showed real grit and, and determination to grind the result out. And I think it's exactly what what Jurgen Klopp would have wanted. Obviously, he wouldn't have liked the the way they started the game. Um, the back line, I mean, this is these are players that have played together for a very long time. But sometimes <laughs> they look like they've never played together. Um, sometimes they're a bit rash. They look a bit nervous. And, you know, it, 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 we spoke about Arsenal earlier on, about individual errors costing them the match. And thankfully for Liverpool, the errors didn't cost them the match because they won. But, you know, Van Dijk is now going to miss a few games. I'm wondering what it will do for Trent's confidence because that was a really bad mistake as well, to be fair. And like I said, in the first place, I thought he was lucky to actually be on the pitch to make the mistake. Uh, I thought Alisson was really good as well. If it wasn't for Alisson, I, I don't think Liverpool would have won. He made some really, really good saves. 
Um, and he really is just the best keeper in the league, and if not, definitely top two in the world. But um, but yeah, again, positives for Newcastle to take it all. It's tough to take positives when you you were dominant in the game and you were a man up for so long and going ahead so early. But I think Liverpool's class, not that Newcastle don't have class, they have a very good squad uh, and they've played brilliantly um, so far in the season. But I think Liverpool's, their, their calibre of class, I think, because both teams have got class, but Liverpool's class is just that calibre a little bit up, do you know what I mean? And Eddie Howe's treacherous run against Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp continues. So, now that we've rounded up all the action from game week number three, it was a brilliant weekend of football. Once again, red cards, penalties, we had it all. We even had a Chelsea win. So, crazy. But, um, but yeah, on to the match day four predictions. Now, Luton Town face uh, West Ham at home. Oh, that's our Friday night football, eight o'clock. Luton's first game at home, back in the Premier League. I'm sure the ground will be buzzing. The fans will be up for it, but... West Ham have looked really, really good recently. I think West Ham will absolutely steamroll them 3-0. And we've got City. They play on Saturday at 3 o'clock against Fulham. Now, I think Fulham will be a tricky customer. Um, they've been consistent, but consistently average sort of thing, if that makes sense. But I don't think City will have it all their own way. But I see them winning, maybe nicking it 1-0, 2-0. Burnley and Spurs play as well at Turf Moor. And I spoke about Burnley earlier on in the episode. Um, I just, don't see them winning. Spurs just look really, really good. I'm liking what I'm seeing from Spurs. I like a breath of fresh air. I think Spurs will win 3-0. And Brighton and Newcastle as well. Uh, Brighton at home in that one on the Saturday's evening game. Again, that's going to be a great game. We've had some great matchups already from the first few weeks in the Premier League. That one, I'm going to be honest, it's tough to call. I think Newcastle, they'll feel hard done by uh, against Liverpool. I think it's a game they definitely should have and could have won. And Brighton, they'll definitely want to put the uh, the wrongs of the game against West Ham right. I'm going to go for a draw. I think 2-2 for Brighton and Newcastle. And then Liverpool face Aston Villa. And I think it's another tough game for Liverpool. Um, not having Van Dijk is big as well. But I think, again, Villa, they won't have it all their own way, Liverpool. And I, actually, I kind of see it being a little bit similar to the Newcastle-Liverpool game. I'm not saying they're going to go down to 10 men again and, you know, get a goal, goal down. But I think Liverpool, they won't have it all their own way. I do think they'll win 2-1. Um, Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp, I still got, he's been in the Premier League for like six, seven years. And when I say his name, it's still a, still a little bit of a tongue twister. But uh, Jurgen Klopp's side, they seem to be getting a bit more fluid. And I, I think they'll build on from, from this fixture. Uh, then next up, we've got Sheffield United, Everton. And could that be a relegation six-pointer already? Going to be honest, I think Sheffield United actually put a decent showing against City. They did get dominated, but if you get dominated against Man City and you only can score and you only concede two goals, it's kind of a positive in itself. Um, surely Everton are going to get the first points of the season in this match. I'm I'm going to go bold. I'm going to go. It's going to be a two 0 win for the Toffees. And now on to Chelsea next weekend. We've got Nottingham Forest at the Bridge. Fort Nottingham Forest look really good against United. Unlucky not to get anything from that match. And they also look good against Arsenal in the opening week. Um, goals from Antoinini again. He's going to be a real danger for them. But again, I've, I've got to back my team. And I think we'll build from the game against Luton. Uh, Gusto, I'm hoping for another good performance from him. 
players like Sterling and now that Jackson's opened his account, there's no reason why he can't start putting the ball in the back of the neck week after week. So I'm going to go 3-1 to Chelsea. And we've got Battle of the Bees um, next up. Brentford versus Bournemouth. I think Brentford will be too strong for Bournemouth. Wissa and Embuemo were a little bit quiet this week, but I'm sure it's just a blip and I'm sure they'll continue to score goals and get me my FPL points. I'm going to go 2-0 Brentford. Then we've got Crystal Palace and Wolves. This is an interesting game. I actually think they're both quite evenly matched. They've both played well at times this season. Sometimes they've got the results so far. Sometimes they haven't. It's been a bit of a mixed bag, actually. But I think Palace will come out on top. Um, I thought Wolves were... I would say lucky against Everton. I think they managed the game well in the end, you know, getting the win, even though Everton did have the the bulk of the chances. But I just think if if they if, if Wolves give away those same chances to Palace, I just I just I just don't really see them having a chance. Because I believe if if a team like well, not even a team like Palace, if I'm being honest, if any other team other than Everton had those chances against Wolves, the Wolves probably would have found themselves two or three all down. So if they do play defensively like they did against Everton, I think Palace will win 2-0. And then the big one, Arsenal versus United. Now, it's been a good start for Arsenal despite the Fulham draw. And it's been a little bit of an inconsistent rookie road for Man United. But I think the Arsenal confidence could, could be knocked after that draw. And I think the Man United confidence is also still a little bit shaky because, yes, they did beat uh, Forrest but it wasn't a vintage United performance. And I'm going to be honest, this this is a really, really tough one for me to call. Um, and if I'm honest, I can see them. I can see him getting a draw. I can see United winning. I can see Arsenal winning. But I think I'm going to have to go for Arsenal on this one. I just think they're a bit more consistent. And I've said a lot about players like Rashford and Bruno Fernandes, uh, players like Mason Mount and Anthony as well being key. And... When I look at Arsenal's key men, Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, and even in Ketia now as well, and then I compare those to Man United's key players, Arsenal's, I'm not saying Arsenal's are better than theirs, that's, that's a conversation for another day, but they're just performing more. You know what I mean? I, I, Saka is putting in the performances that Rashford just isn't. Odegaard is doing the things that Fernandes just isn't. Martinelli's doing the things that... Anthony just isn't. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's what I'm going to go for. And I think as well that the, the midfield battle will be key. Um, Declan Rice going up against Casemiro, that's going to be good. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to go 3-1 go Arsenal for the game at the Emirates. That concludes this week's episode of the Do You Follow Football podcast with me, Stefanos. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, and don't forget, this is very important. We're so close to 1,000 followers already on Twitter after being on for less than a month. I really want to get to that 1K before the end of the month. So make sure you go and follow the Twitter at DYFFPod. Not only do you get tweets from me, so when you're not hearing my voice, you can read my tweets. You'll also get links posted every single time that we post an episode. So all you've got to do, follow us, stick the notification bell on as well. Uh, Remember, rate the podcast five stars, share it with your friends, follow the pod. And that's it from me for this week, guys. Thank you very much.